Welcome to the Business of Being Healthy, where we are passionate about treating our health as good as we treat our wealth. Shelly Bryan here, and I am obsessed with sharing real life experiences and wisdom to help save you time, heartache, and money as you continue to grow personally and professionally. Twice a week, we push aside that BS to take massive intentional action. And I promise by tuning in, you will receive the straightforward talk you've been waiting for, filled with actionable steps that will inspire you to achieve the health and wealth you desire while you are building your empire. Today's episode is going to be one that I know is going to open some eyes because of my guest. And what is neat, and I always love to call this out when it happens, is we got connected just on social media. Sometimes I think that social media can be seen as this like beacon and like there's no like connection, you can't talk. But what I love is that the connection naturally happened and we just started talking and here we are. And I cannot wait for today's uh, episode because this topic is something that we need to talk more about, but it's going to have a little bit of a different perspective. So I'd like to welcome in Brooke Shuley. She is a performance psychiatrist. She has a passion that lies in helping high achieving professionals, top executives, professional athletes, and their families reach potential through personalized concierge mental health services. So there's a few key words in there, Dr. Shuley, that I literally would love to dive into. But before we do, please give us a little bit more about yourself and how you came into performance psychology. Sure. Yeah. So I am from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised, uh, then grew up, went to high school in San Diego, went all the way to Kansas City, Missouri for medical school and matched out to Phoenix for general psychiatry residency training. I was dying to go back to San Diego, but met my husband here at the hospital and decided to stay here after. So um, I love performance psychiatry. And I think that totally envelops like both the executive and corporate side of things, but also the athletic side of things. And then also all of the kids that are like, oh, I'm upset. I don't have a 4.5. I just have a 4.0. So I think like performance just leaks into all areas of life. So I love what I do. I mostly focus in medication management and therapy and using a combination and like the least amount of medications possible, if any at all. I love that. And I I think there's probably so many stories and lessons just from your training, right? From traveling across the country. Um, I think you ended up like your, your husband did a good thing keeping you here in Arizona. (laughs) Um, so many opportunities here, although I love San Diego, so I totally get it there. Yeah. But what kind of drew you into those high performers, you know, high achievers Scottsdale. I mean, we're, we're both centered here in Scottsdale. I think Arizona in general, we are just to the brim with high performers in every Mm -hmm. aspect, right? Whether it's a high performer as a mom or a dad or a high performer executive or an athlete, what drew you to working specifically with high performers? Yeah, I think I kind of fell into it through opening a concierge practice in Scottsdale. So what that means uh, for any listeners that don't know is essentially you could contact me directly and you don't have to wait on a long phone tree to talk to someone. You don't have to wait for insurance approval to get an appointment. 
Concierge psychiatry really is about being able to access care quickly um, for any length of time that you and the doctor kind of would like to, and then being able to do it in a variety of modalities, whether it be in someone's home who can't be seen in an office setting, in the office, virtually, on site, in arena. So I think concierge psychiatry just ended up meshing really well with those athletes who maybe would be on the cover of a magazine if they were seen out in a doctor's office or, you know, the corporate executive that might be needing ADHD treatment or anxiety. So I think the concierge psychiatry just blended really well with that population. And I think it takes just the the whole idea of, and the whole process of psychology and keeps it very personal right? Because there can be a lot of shame with seeking help, especially for high achievers, because based upon the the relationships and the conversations that I've had with other high achievers, like asking for help was almost seen as a sign of weakness. And I can tell you that I fell into that for many years in my life, especially back in corporate, like asking for help, even not from like a mental health standpoint, but just asking for help on a project or a a task. I was seen as I felt right. Like it wasn't anybody else. I felt like I was seen as uh, that was weak. And so how is that? Are you seeing that with, with some of these, like the specialty in this area? Yeah, I think it's so person dependent. And then just to touch on too, there's a slight difference between psychologists and psychiatrists. So psychiatrists go to medical school and then they could prescribe medication and they could do therapy. And then psychologists complete a PhD or a PsyD doctorate program and do therapy alone without medication, at least for now. There are some states that are looking to have psychologists prescribe. But I think that there is a huge stigma still, like some people that I see in the athletic setting don't care who's around. They'll come sit right next to me be like, we need to talk. I have X, Y, and Z issues. And then there are others that are like, I will literally never say hi to you here in this public setting, but can't wait to see you in your office. So I think it really just depends on the person and where they're at with their own kind of personal journey too. Mm-hmm. And how do you, because y- you've worked, you know, in e- executive levels, large organizations and, or, you know, professional athletes, how would you maybe someone that's seeking, right. That, that maybe is not quite ready to, but is curious, mm-hmm. how would you maybe help guide them along the path of whether it is the right choice or not for them? Yeah, so that's a really good question, because especially in, let's say, like a professional sports organization, the number one job, in my opinion, is to be visible and to be familiar. Because if you can just be visible and familiar, people will start to acknowledge like, okay, that person's in the inner circle or like, you know, that person is trustworthy and they start to get to know you over time. So I feel like just the first layer of the job is just gaining people's trust and respect. And then once that's developed, then when something does happen or there's a stressor, then they'll reach out and be like, Hey, can we actually chat? Like I'm ready now. I've had someone actually say that, like, now that I've seen you just around for two years, like I'm ready. Mm. And that comes in so many different layers. It's all trust, right? So you are building a practice, right? Just like you're which is needs trust people that are building businesses, leading teams, uh, leading a family. It's that trust component. And sometimes it's just showing up. 
every, you know, being consistent and building that trust and potentially getting the referral from, you know, oh, I saw you work with my friend. Now I'm ready to work with you. Right. And those are my favorite kind of referrals too, because it's not someone that just finds me on Google. Like that makes my job so special because I know what an impact I had on the other person's life that referred them. Uh, So I absolutely love that. I do think that there's a fear of retaliation sometimes too. Like you were talking about even just asking for help on a project. It's like, well, is that going to make me get taken off the project? If someone thinks I don't know how to do it, that just presents like a whole other layer of anxiety in the workplace, just in general. Mm -hmm. And so just hearing you say that, I I understand you're working with individuals, but have you been able to incorporate in large organizations, maybe with HR or leadership in creating kind of those safe cultural environments for growth? Yeah, I always think that those things are a work in progress because no matter how good of a place an organization gets to, there's always more work to be done. So that is something I've had the fortunate ability to start building, but there's, it's, it's just so complicated because there are always going to be those people that almost fear that someone else has quote, too much information in their mind, even though my job as a medical doctor is to come in and provide, like you said, individual services. So the organizational side of things, I just see as like purely education, like how can I educate you so that you understand how valuable that this can be for not only the employees' lives individually, but for your organization's performance in general. Because if people are happy in their personal life, they will perform better in their professional life. Um, yes, amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's shout that from the rooftops. Now, um, I I know that you have like a, a you have very specific niches that you work with, and I wanted to dive in a little bit more to the corporate and executive performance therapy kind of arm mm-hmm. of, of, uh, clientele, obviously no names will be mentioned here <laughs> on the show, but you kind of have four different layers. I'd love for, for you to take us through this because as higher performers, sometimes we don't know where to go, right? There's so many choices that it can cause anxiety. And then we like stall out and mm-hmm. a high achiever in, I'm sure based upon your experience, you'll be able to share this with us. Even when you look at um, more in the limelight, like professional athletes, they have so many different coaches and so many different layers underneath where, why would we even think for a second that that couldn't be applied to the executive professional level, you know, within our careers. So I'd love for you to kind of dive into that a little bit and, and let's see how we can maybe kind of open up and and clear some things up. Right. I think that's a really good point because I using the word coaching almost too, there's like, if you imagine seeing like you're watching a basketball game or a football game and the coach is just losing their mind on the side and yelling or whatever they might be doing. In my opinion, like a coach is telling someone what to do, do this. Here's where you can improve, do this better. And what I think is there's a lot of executive coaches out there. But what I think is the really like fine-tuned difference with executive and performance therapy is that you're not telling them what to do. You're collaborating and having a conversation so that they can identify for themselves what might be things that they're lacking or could improve on or what their strengths are. Because someone who recognizes it themselves and it comes from the subconscious up to their conscious mind, they have more incentive to want to make changes. Whereas 
if a coach is just telling you like, great job today, but you need to get five more assists and, you know, three baskets and whatever, like that just feels like more noise. That is more anxiety provoking and more clutter. So I feel like the executive performance therapy is really unique where you're collaborating with someone to help them uncover for themselves what are areas for improvement and what they do well to then hone in on those skills to excel. I I seriously, I want to like put that on repeat because (laughs) I love how you broke that down, right? The therapy versus the coaching. And I think that this is really powerful because right now um, there is such a, an abundance of coaches and, and I'm, if you're on YouTube coaches in, in air (laughs) quotes, right? Like you deal with, with, um, or work with, uh, athletic coaches, that's a different type of coach, but I'm thinking like coaches, people that call themselves coaches all the time. And, and it's funny, it's almost like, I I love that example that you gave of someone telling you what you should be doing. It's like, Mm -hmm. as soon as you implement that word should, your body's going to shut it out and be like, yeah, whatever. It's more noise. Oh, more things I should be doing that are piling up on top of you, creating more mental exhaustion where the therapy, I love that collaboration. And that word I think can get overplayed, but the way that you explained it is so powerful and I think can be really helpful for anyone tuning in right now. If you are looking for someone to partner with, to help you refer back to that, where Dr. Chalet actually just shared the difference between a coach and a therapist and, and the difference that can come from it. Right. And it's tough too, because like you said, there's so many coaches out there and there's so many therapists out there. It's like, how do you figure out what's different or what's actually the right way to do things or what works for you. And so the first question I ask people when they come into my office and tell me that they're working with a therapist is, well, what kind of therapy are you doing? Like, are you just chit-chatting? Are you building skills? Like, what is it that you're doing? Because there's great people in every profession, but there's also some people that are more, you know, challenging to work with, or you're not noticing progress immediately. So I think that's so critical is, are you just like having a conversation? Are you being told what to do and making yourself feel worse and worsening your cognitive distortions? Or are you working with someone to unravel some of those things and then gain your own motivation to move forward and do better? Oh gosh, I love that. And let's dive in real quick on motivation because uh, I mean, I can tell you from my personal experience, just with me, is once I truly understood like why I'm doing these things, why we are, you know, my husband and I, we have a construction company and why we are building that company. It it's changed everything, right? The, the hard days, I don't want to say become easier, but you can work through the mud to actually do the things that are going to make a difference. How do you help people find a motivation? Because I think that right now, and what I hear consistently out there is it's like, the the pedestal isn't enough. Right. I think that's a really tough one for some people because when they come through my door, they've usually gotten to a place where they're wanting to make a change, right? I don't see people often because I don't take insurance. So people who are coming here are really kind of invested in their own improvement and well-being. And I think that another thing to remember as a coach as a, you know, therapist, as a psychiatrist, 
is you really have to remember to reflect back on what the client is wanting to improve on because you might have in your mind what you think they should be improving on. But if you're not kind of synced up with each other on what the goals are, you're never going to motivate someone to, to get there. So I think that's like foundation and like level one is just what in your life are you struggling with? And once we identify that, are you, where are you at and wanting to make changes there? And there's a whole thing called motivational interviewing where let's say like, you know, I have a 16 year old who comes in and is smoking marijuana every day. And the parent's goal might be for them to stop smoking, but rather than just getting there, I first like to ask, well, what benefits do you get out of smoking every day? What are some of the consequences you get out of smoking every day? And then on a scale of one to a hundred, like where are you at in your motivation to make a change? And if they say 50, well, then you say, well, what are the things that are holding you back from being a 60? And that's the slow and steady kind of steps to instilling change and getting someone to be motivated is they have to come to that conclusion themselves. Gosh, I love that. And if you just heard that, it was the questions, right? In that example that you gave us, it was mm-hmm. the questions to really like, that was a, a perfect demonstration of the collaboration of therapy rather than just strictly coaching. So I really, really love that. And it's, you know, the parents had a different goal versus mm-hmm the patient, you know, and so that can have totally different things, you know, how do you, how do you balance that with someone that maybe even came in, like, let's go back to the executive level or like a business Mm -hmm. owner. Um, that's mostly my audience here tuning in. I'd love to have all the, you know, professional sports players, but we're going to stick, we're going to (laughs) stick with, with my crowd, which is, um, the executives and business owners where, Mm -hmm they almost feel like a, a little lost, you know, being able to come to their why, their goal. Mm-hmm. How would you help someone along that? Yeah, I like to really zoom out and look at the big picture. So I think goal setting is really, if it's done the right way, like I think that word is way overused and it's like, well, what does that even mean? But I really like to create every new year, which we're coming up on a new year here, Uh, I like to create three domains of goals and three goals for each domain. So you have personal, professional, and then health slash spiritual. And so I think that first identifying a goal is really helpful for business owners because you could have a business owner that's like, oh, well, I just want to like make a ton of money this year. And it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Does that mean like a 50% uh, kind of like profit margin. What does that mean to you? Let's actually give yourself some tangible goals. Like, I think that's the thing I see all the time is, well, I just want to have more patience or I just want to be, you know, have more clients or make more money or take more vacation. Well, what are actual tangible bite-sized steps you can get to, to get to that goal? So I think that's like the biggest thing is goal setting in a way that is actually tangible to get to those things, not just making some vague general statement. And, you know, it's funny, I'm like sitting here as you're sharing this and the vague general statements, it's almost like that's a red flag, right? Could that be seen as a red flag? Like if someone is driving around right now or running on a treadmill, um, listening to this and they're kind of more in this vague land, 
is that, would you consider that a sign that maybe they truly don't know what the actual goal is or where they want to go? Real quick, if you can think about how you found out about this podcast, somebody probably shared it with you, told you about it, or maybe you saw it on an Instagram story. Currently, the only way this grows is through word of mouth. I don't sell any ads or sponsorships right now, so my only ask to you is that you continue to pay it forward. However you found out about this podcast, that you do the exact same thing for someone else. So if it is leaving a review, sharing it in your stories, literally, if you do that, it would mean the world to me and definitely throw some good karma out there for you and another entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think that for some people too, their anxiety can be so much that they almost feel stuck and like paralyzed to making a decision because they want to make sure it's the right decision. Well, that wanting to make the right decision may cost you a year's worth of time of thinking about it. So I think that I don't necessarily consider it a red flag, but I think it's just an indicator that something needs to change. Because I I work with a lot of um, doctors who are wanting to start a practice and doing some consulting work for that. And they're like, I want to build a private practice and not be bound to hospital insurance and corporate medicine and all that good stuff. But I think sometimes I see a lot of business owners just get stuck in that process of going from point A to point B. Yeah, I, I heard this, I'm trying to remember where I heard this the other day, but like the feeling of sad is like, you don't have cho- uh, a choice to make. So you feel like despair and sadness where anxiety can stem from like, you have so many choices that is almost debilitating and causes anxiety for you. And mm-hmm. it's funny because I can think back to different periods of life where I felt both, you know? Right. And it's think- interesting the way that happens. Like I almost use the example of if you're at an ATM and you have bad OCD or bad anxiety and you put in your credit card into the ATM and you get your cash and you're holding your ATM card when you're done, but there's that still that OCD type thought in your mind that's like, but is this really my card? Is there another card in there? Is my card stuck in there? And you just get stuck in this repetitive thought pattern, which takes me to like what I always talk to people about with worry or anxiety. Is it a productive anxiety where there's something actionable that you could do something about? Or is it an unproductive anxiety? For example, I'm going to get fired. And that anxiety is really unproductive because there's nothing you could really do about that to make that thought go away in your mind. So how can you turn something into a productive anxiety with that example of, okay, well, I don't want to get fired. So here are three steps I can make to do better in my job. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that unproductive anxiety and can't move forward from there. So what I absolutely loved about what you just shared was it's almost labeling and this can happen, Mm -hmm. right? Because we can be like, oh, well, I have anxiety or my child has anxiety. And there's just this label that we put them on. And then we almost expect, expect them or ourselves to live up to that label. You added two additional words, right? To, to, to it, unproductive or productive. And it changes the entire meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, um, you know, and, and let's see, we can either stay on the executive side or even on the, the sports side, because they're, they're high performers really at, mm-hmm. at the end of the day is where they have maybe either had a label placed on them or placed a label on them and, and, had trouble like moving through that? 
Yeah, I think that it goes back to a key kind of core principle in therapy called automatic thoughts. So those are the thoughts, the naggy thoughts that kind of puff up in your mind, and then they make an impact on the feelings or emotions you have, and then your behavior. So let's say your automatic thought is, I'm so bad at my job, I'm going to get fired. Well, that'll lead you to feeling sad. And that might lead you to not working because now you're kind of upset and sad and feeling lack of motivation. So you just lay on the couch and then don't actually get any work done. But let's go back to that same example. And okay, something's not going well. I'm worried I'm going to get fired. Well, here are three proposals I have to do next week. So that could turn into feeling excited and motivated to power through those and do a good job, which leads to the behavior of getting your work done. So the same automatic thought, that's like something I focus on heavily in therapy with executives and athletes and really anyone is like, how are these automatic thoughts that are negative impacting your emotions, which are then impacting your behavior in a negative way? Oh, that is so good. That's so powerful. And, and I, as you were even sharing that, just the kids, you know, mm-hmm. those, those automatic thoughts that the, the kids are having, you know, I've got a 11 and a 13 year old and just words that they say and, and how they talk about stuff. I'm on this like hyper sensitive mode because mm-hmm. it's so powerful. It is so powerful. Have you seen, um, with maybe even, um, some of the adolescents that you've worked with where labeling like that has been debilitating and and how have you been able to, to really help move them out? Because it's hard. They don't have enough life experience sometimes. Right. Yeah. I think that I see a lot of that in adolescents and really people of all ages that have a very certain background of Maybe they had a parent that was highly critical. They had an ex-partner that was very critical and made them feel less than. Mm. So I see a lot of that in adolescents and young adults that have those automatic thoughts. For example, I'm never going to be good enough. No one will ever love me. I will never do well at work or in school. A lot of those negative thoughts I see a lot of. And the first step really is to identify that you're even having those Because sometimes when we talk about it, it seems so obvious, like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going through. But when you actually ask someone to really identify what those thoughts are for themselves, it's kind of difficult. And then they feel even worse about it because they recognize that that's really underlying a lot of their emotions and behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I I can even just think about conversations I've had with friends, um, Mm -hmm. past colleagues, just just certain things that 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 really hits home. I I imagine too, for everyone tuning in, they could probably think of someone in that situation. I want to talk about stress management because I know that's part of your, you know, performance therapy as well. Uh, And just if you are new to tuning in, I encourage you to go back to some old episodes, but I actually went blind in my left eye because I did not have stress management at a very young age, um, at 24 climbing, um, building the business, doing all the stuff. Um, there are some episodes I'll link them in the show notes, but, uh, that you can hear my story. I want to stay focused here though, with Dr. Shule, because I want to talk about stress management from your perspective, uh, with executives. Yeah, I think as silly as this sounds, I tell people that, okay, you schedule clients into your day. You said you're in your business owner and you work in construction, like you schedule things that you have to do that to be successful in your work. You have to have good time management. And for the most part, high achievers and people that are successful, corporate, 
you know, athletes, whatever, they have a pretty good ability to manage their work schedules. Mm. But I tell people, if you can manage your work schedule, why can't you schedule in time for yourself? And the most common answer is, well, I just don't feel productive. I need to feel productive. Why would I schedule an hour a day to be not productive? And I reframe it for them that in fact, it is productive because imagine a red solo cup that has a little hole at the bottom. And as you go throughout your day, you are just draining liquid bit by bit from the bottom of that cup. Well, what are you doing each day to fill that cup back up so that when you do this whole thing the next day, you're, you're with it and you have good energy and good focus. And I think reframing it like that for people is really powerful because go get that hour long manicure during your lunch break or, you know, go get your hair done, do something that makes you feel good have breakfast with a friend before you go into work. I know you could schedule because you do it for your work. So build in those times during your day where you're doing something that fills that cup back up. Yeah, I think that's something with high performers is we are thinking about everyone else and we are pouring mm-hmm. into everybody else. Meanwhile, our hole in the cup is getting bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And mm-hmm. you can't pour from an empty cup at the end of the day. Right. And I love the examples that you gave. I think um, there can be a stigma out there and here on the business of being healthy, right? It's about showing the correlation between business and health. And that was a perfect mm-hmm. example. This whole conversation is, but it's, it doesn't have to be this like hour long gym workout with a trainer that you paid. And then you have to only eat certain macros and it's like Mm -hmm. more restriction. It's like, what is going to make you feel better so that you can actually go help those people go lead that team in a better way. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to feeling that constant need to be productive. So the gym one's a perfect example. It's like, well, if I'm going to take an hour off work, I better go work out or do something productive. But I think just catching up with an old friend or sitting in your office, lounging, making a phone call to a family member, any of that fills your cup up. So it's different for every person. Think of what are three things for you as a listener that you can do that fill back up your cup. Yeah, I love that. And and I just really appreciate this conversation already. And I hope everyone's tuning into this. There's been some very like easy, right? Simple ways that you are incorporating, you know, mental health performance back into our daily lives. And, you know, I love to kind of just turn a little bit and talk just more about athletes because we professional athletes, like we look at them as celebrities and we look at them as perfect Mm -hmm. and they have all these resources and tools and, and everything. How does performance psychology come into that? Because I, I know this might sound silly, but it's like they're performance athletes or they're athletes. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just about like their physical strength and how much they can do, but there's so much on the mindset with them as, as well. There is. And I think that all the professional sporting leagues are a little bit behind the times on where we're at with mental health. But Formula Medicine, for example, they have it down like they have a mind gym that is just as big as their physical body gym that has different modalities of mindfulness and yoga and meditation and different things like that that are so important to preparation for the game. And there's so many different ways we could take this. But later, I want to touch on habits because of how important that is. But I think that people forget that being a professional athlete or celebrity or even like the owner of a large corporate company, 
is very isolating, even though that they are all over social media and it seems like they're always out doing fun things. It's incredibly isolating because your salary is public online. Everyone knows how much money you're making, where you're living, what kind of car you have, what kind of house you have. And it's incredibly isolating. How do you ever trust someone that is approaching you as you're now a professional athlete? And I'll never forget, I had asked a star player, uh, not in a session, just in public, like, do you make new friends? Is it hard for you to make friends? And his answer, he looked at me dead in the eye and he goes, I don't make new friends. I don't make friends now. And that just goes to show how incredibly hard it is for high level elite athletes to have a social life that's normal. And I think sometimes we take it for granted. We could just meet our friends for a happy hour, do whatever we want. And these athletes are so restricted because they can't even walk from our hotel room when we're on the road to the bus outside to go to the game without 10 plus people asking for a photo or yelling, you suck or do better tonight or whatever it may be. It's, it's just very isolating. Oh, I can only imagine. And, and to your point, I mean, we're talking about celebrities, but the executive level like that, that is harder, even a, a, a business owner, like it is very, very isolating and very lonely. And that's where I think a lot of your, your mind can really, really start getting in the way. Um, Mm -hmm. or pulling you back or lifting you up, depending upon what, what you have, you had touched on habits. Let's dive in there because I am a huge believer in habits. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I think that it goes, there's so much research out there that shows that you are more likely to succeed and meet your goals and get things done. If you have habits that you build on. And so when someone talks to me about, you know, feeling like their lack of, you know, there's lack of motivation to go to the gym. It's like, well, tie that habit to something else that you're already doing every day. Like what's something that you do every day? Is it that you have a cup of coffee or that, you know, you walk your dog or whatever it might be and tie the habit you want to incorporate into your life into something you're already doing. So I think that the, the athletes, the executives, the people I see that are really excelling and performing to a whole different level have really good structure in their day-to-day routine. They have a good balance of everything and there's no unpredictable, you know, things happening on game day. They wake up, they do X, Y, and Z in the same order. Like there's very structured routine and habits that they build upon. Now, let me ask you kind of an inverse question with that is when someone is so set in their habits and it falls out of line. I think that definitely can happen. Mm -hmm. There's those rigid kind of perfectionistic personality tendencies in some people that their work really comes from undoing that. You know, how can you be okay if your breakfast isn't delivered to you right on time or if the cold plunge isn't working and you can't get in the cold plunge when you normally do? How can you be more adaptable and flexible to still get through your day without it derailing your whole mentality? Yeah, it's it's very interesting and timely. I I recently recorded an episode uh, titled "Is Your Schedule Holding You Back?" Um, and it was straight from from me personally because as our business is evolving, as our t- our team is growing, uh, events with the kids, uh, the horses competing, like all of these different things, I've had a set schedule, and I noticed that I was creating more uh, anxiety, more uh, stress 
because I was trying to make it all fit in what my schedule was instead of allowing that to become more fluid yet still being able to, as a high achiever, get the things that I wanted to Mm -hmm. get done, you know? So it was a really just a, just a open, honest episode of me just sharing, like how I saw, like, it was actually my schedule that was holding me back. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point where it's important to detangle and separate the schedule from just habits, right? Because I think a lot of people see them as one while my habits determine my schedule or, you know, that is so tied together. But I think when someone can detangle those and really compartmentalize, as long as you have good habits and you're making steps in that direction, it doesn't necessarily rule or dictate your schedule. You can still have good habits and healthy habits, good coping skills without needing to stick to a rigid schedule. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's a really good point. I think a lot of times they get kind of gobbed together and and clouded. Yeah. And, and that's like, I mean, why this conversation is so fun because it's, it's like practical real world, the medical side of it and, and just the work that you've done. I mean, that's, we're sharing this and I'm, I'm being open and raw because I want everyone else that's tuning in to like, see number one, you're not alone. Number two, there's, there's different perspectives out there that can help you work through it. And, and I just want to bring it back to that whole coach versus therapy. That was so eye opening for me because I know that I have excelled at different points in my life when I had someone almost on my team Mm -hmm. and I never labeled them as a coach or therapy, but it was just someone like collaborate. It was on my team. Mm -hmm. Like they have my back. I also have had the inverse where they said they were on my team and they were not. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for you to work with that because, or to share a little bit, because as you are growing in your business or your career. Um, if you are working your way up to, you know, national sports leagues, you could have friends, right. Or teammates or colleagues that are kind of on the same level, but then someone is, you're doing all this work and you're moving ahead and you're moving ahead. And then you start Mm -hmm. feeling a little resentment. You start feeling separation. You feel you want to separate how have you been able to kind of help someone through that? Because it's hard to let go of like old friends or old colleagues that you've had forever, but you see yourself separating. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think just on a personal level too, I've experienced that so much where, you know, like you said, you're growing a business and you're a business owner and you are putting so much, it's like your second or third or fourth baby. Like it is a little baby to you because you've poured so much time and energy and love into it that sometimes it can be really disheartening when you see friends that become not happy for you or almost like they resent you or, you know, be there's that underlying frustration that why aren't you still doing what we were doing when we met and became friends. And I think that's where it's been hard just personally seeing friendships kind of fizzle out over time where there isn't that reciprocity or, you know, that understanding that you both have each other's back and you're both truly genuinely advocating for each other and, and happy for that person when there's growth. So I think that just as a business owner or, you know, an executive or an elite athlete, regardless of if you're a celebrity or not, it's very isolating still as you're growing and putting time into something, it can really cause resentment among uh, other family members or friends or whatever the case may be. I think that's the hard part that not a lot of people talk about. 
And how would you help someone through? Like if, if they are feeling that, that even family, right? I mean, even fam, I've got personal experiences, mm-hmm. family that is pulling away or has that resentment, or is definitely not cheering on your wins. Yeah. I think that the biggest word is detachment because how can you move forward and be happy with yourself regardless of external factors? And that's something I preach both personally and professionally is you see yourself worth here, right? And if someone compliments you or if someone insults you, that should not change your self-worth level. Like if someone says, oh my God, amazing podcast, or you did such a good job with this client, that should not bring you up, nor should someone leaving a one-star review, which hurts for small business owners, bring your self-worth or confidence down. So you are the holder of your self-worth and confidence. Don't let external factors impact it. So I think for those people, I would say, find your people, like detach from the ones that are not your people and you will find your people in time. Gosh, I mean, when you say preach, I'm like, preach girl. Yes, <laughs> please. Because that is something that's super powerful that, um, Chris and I have worked through at various stages. You know, we've been married, married 18, but together 22 years and in various stages, um, we've had to detach. That is a great <laughs> word. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but it, in order to get where we wanted to go and where the, we can only control us right? Like at the end of the day, and that's what I always bring it back to my kids is that we, you can only control you. So whatever your friends are doing, whatever is saying it, it Mm -hmm. really shouldn't affect you. You can, you get to control how you react to that. And I love that, that status, I don't want to call it a status quo, but like it shouldn't change, right? The positive or the negative shouldn't change how you feel about yourself. Exactly. And I think that's the thing I see with teenagers the most often is they are in that stage where friends are mean and cruel and now there's online social media where they can do that and I always try and work with teens on just holding firm in who you are who you want to be and leave all the noise aside it's so powerful I mean I was just on a walk with my daughter my 11 year old and Mm -hmm. and we have our walks and and just asking, I just ask a bunch of open-ended questions and mm-hmm. it, there's the, the cool kids at school that were being bullies. And so we just were talking about it and it's interesting, obviously the conversations that I'm having with an 11 year old, I never had as 11. So that mm-hmm. already for me is like, wow, but it's, yeah. it's really seeing how uh, instrumental that, that conversation can be. And I mm-hmm. think it's, I think it even goes with your team, right? Leading a team, um, being a leader in your household. I'm a huge mm-hmm. advocate of, of that, but that's my number one job. Um, but it's so impactful. I think just even talking out loud and that's where I could see like having a collaborator, like, like a psychiatrist, like yourself mm-hmm. could just be so powerful to work through a lot of stuff rather than someone telling you what you should or shouldn't do. I think that in society today, there's just that constant fear of criticism, regardless of if it's personally, professionally. And I think that holds a lot of people's thoughts inside, which goes back to what we were talking about of just the first step is to bring those automatic thoughts to your conscious awareness. Like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I'm always negative on myself about my work or whatever the case may be, or my appearance. I think that just unraveling those thoughts is so powerful. It, it really is bringing that reflection and awareness. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about all these different things as, as you're speaking. And I know our listeners are too right now where this is so applicable. Um, and, and even personally, right? Like I'm thinking about conversations with others, but just even personally, um, 
I would love to bring in just like a little twist because I mean, spirituality is very individual for, for everybody. Right. So Mm -hmm. the, the moment of this, this show right here, turning it, I'm not pushing one way or the other, but I do want to bring it into it because before we started recording, you had shared something really interesting when it came to the, just the professional sports, professional Mm -hmm. athletes. Could you share that again? Sure. Yeah. So different teams will have a pastor that will come and be available for any of the athletes that would like to join chapel with basketball. For example, it happens on the road at home with 60 minutes on the clock till game time. And there is a huge kind of push for spirituality and having that as a going back to habits, having it built into your routine and your structure on game day. And I think that whatever it is that is a habit or routine that people can build onto is so powerful and impactful on their performance, whether it be just a mindfulness meditation, totally not religious based, whether it's going to chapel with 60 on the clock. I think just that ability to reset your mind has such a powerful and positive impact on performance. You know, and, and I can see that and I can feel it. Um, you know, as, as I shared, uh, I'm part of the impact family here in Arizona. We have, uh, pastor Travis Hearn, um, who is the chapel leader for the sons and just hearing him talk and seeing the pictures and the, and it's, it's just part of the routine. And I think it's that Mm -hmm. grounding moment right? Before you're going to perform. And while the athletes, again, it's like kind of celebrity, we're all looking mm-hmm. at it, but that grounding in, in again, whether it's your spirituality or something else, mm-hmm. how have you used that or have you used that as a tool with, with, um, high performers before they're going to do their thing, right? Like whether we're going to like negotiate a big deal, a big sale, um, bring on a new client, something like that. Yeah, I think it really is person dependent and getting into that routine that works for you. So for some people, they need to get amped up and listen to like hyper music and do like one of those hyper breathing exercises. Whereas for someone else, they might be overly anxious and need to chill out and calm down. So that mindfulness meditation, the chapel time might be very grounding for them. So I've certainly seen that be so helpful for people and really utilized in a variety of settings, whether it be, like you said, a big presentation or corporate deal that's happening, just any sort of grounding where you're just bringing yourself back to the present moment is so powerful. It's so, it's so powerful. You know, just even before I record a, an episode, especially with a guest Mm -hmm. or even my solo episodes, it's bringing it back, you know, it's grounding myself, Mm -hmm. um, really thinking through and, for me, even saying a little prayer before we get started. So I, I love talking about that because it's not always the big thing, right? It's not always the big thing that's going to make the biggest change. I mean, I can speak personally on that. It's these little things that may seem insignificant to other people and who cares? Cause it's about (laughs) you, right? It's about, it's like, what is good for you? And so I just, I just love you sharing that. Thank you. No, I think it's really important. Now, I mean, we are getting close on time and I have like a million more questions, (laughs) but before we kind of close up here is 
where can everybody find you? Where is the best to get in contact with you, learn about you at your concierge practice? Uh, I, I really love that. We didn't even get into that subject. <laughs> and with my kind of medical industry background, we might have to save that for another episode because I'd love to hear your perspective on it. But where's the best place for everyone to find you? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I think the best place is through my website is just brookshulemd.com. And I'm sure that'll be in the show notes of the spelling of my name, but just going to my website, sending a message through there, filling out the consult request form and be happy to get in touch with you. I, I will absolutely have everything linked. And what I do just want to reiterate again, that I absolutely love this. I mean, Dr. Chile works with a wide variety of high profile people, and it is of the utmost, you know, confident, personal, nothing is shared. And so if you've ever even been scared to have a conversation with somebody, I, I highly recommend, um, you, and you could do digital, like, a like virtual, digital, right? Virtual, excuse me. So I love that. You don't even have to be in Arizona. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, medical license wise, I can only see people in the States I'm licensed in, which is California and Arizona. So if you're on the coast, I can see you too. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I've got one last question for you. And then we are going to close it up is if you could look at just in your career alone, right? So not even just who you're helping, but your career alone if there was one thing that when it came to like intentional action, what is the one thing that you wish you would have done sooner to really get you to this point where you are now? Hmm, wish I would have done sooner. I think having an online presence through Instagram is something I wish I would have done sooner because I was worried to put my own voice out there and to talk about what I was doing. And I think that's something I wish I had done a little bit earlier is to not be afraid that it was a new kind of model of psychiatry and just go forth with it online. I love that. I love that. Thanks for sharing that because I of know course. someone out there right now is that worried to to take the leap and it's yeah. like, look at you, you're doing it. We will absolutely have everything linked below. Thank you so much for sharing and for your time today. Um, if you found value in this, right? If this struck a chord with you, if this conversation kind of shed, like provided a new perspective, know that you're not alone. And so by sharing it out, you could be the hero for someone else. So I would love for you to share it out, tag both of us in it. We will absolutely share and give you all the love. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you.